Welcome to episode 95 of Moon P. Jug and Hobbs. Not it's not 95. It's 65. Probably. I was going to say, how can you be at 95? I'm at like 123 and I had a two year head start. <laughs> <laughs> That's the voice of our guest today. Uh, we'll get to him in just a second. P. Jug, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. P. Jug here. And then uh, Hobbs, how the heck are you doing down there in Texas? I'm doing good. Survived the uh, tornadoes. Everybody was like, oh, how are the tornadoes? I'm like, I don't know. It was windy. We were drinking. And then, of course, I'm Moon. And then our, our fourth voice today would be the first return guest that we've ever had out of all of these episodes. And there's a reason why. The guy was so damn interesting. <laughs> uh, and so I'm thinking to myself, we got to call him and get him back on. Uh, let's welcome Doug Sprinthal from Walzer. How you doing, Doug? Everybody else said no, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not like you bump Vladimir Putin to talk to me. <laughs> I wonder what that would be like if you get uh, Putin on the phone. We could call this segment Questions with Putin. <laughs> it's just something I came up with right now. So, uh, P-Jug, what are your questions? For Putin? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Do you really have golden shower footage of Trump? <laughs> if so, when will you be dropping that? Okay, Doug, your turn. Well, I would like to know if he actually threw the 2016 election. Okay. And what's the deal with the bare-shirted middle-aged guy riding <laughs> horseback in the winter? How old do you think Putin is? Because I was surprised when I found out how old he was. He's 70 years old. He's that's a handsome he's man for a uh, person that's trying to destroy the universe. Think he's crazy enough to push the nuke button or not? P-Jug? Yes, I do. Hobbs? No, I think he likes power too much. And then if everybody's dead, he can't boss anybody around. I think it's a great question. And I'll tell you why. It's the American sport to criticize the president, whoever it is, about every single move. But in this particular case, I'm really glad I'm not the president because I don't know what this guy would do. Yeah. Yeah. He's a loose cannon. No, no doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, my two questions of Putin would be, how do you think that it's okay to bomb buildings that are labeled as having children in them. Okay. That's question number one. Cause that to me was the biggest heartbreaker of the whole thing. And I've seen, I've watched a lot of coverage of it. Uh, my second question was, would you rather we shoot you in the head with, <laughs> with a crossbow or a high powered <laughs> rifle? <laughs> you thought about this a lot. Is that a little extreme? I, I have a, have a, re, a funny story. As you know, my father sadly passed away uh, yeah. a couple of weeks ago, and he was in North Carolina, and it was it, it was actually a good thing. He was in a lot of pain, but I don't want to get that wasn't the point of the story. We went to the funeral home to meet with the director, and he's the proper Southern gentleman. He's got the white shirt on, and is very he's calling my stepmom ma'am and all this sort of stuff. And we started talking about Russia. And he's a religious guy. And he says in this cool North Carolina coastal accent, you know, the Lord does say ventures his mind. But in this particular case, I would like to go over there and just help a little bit. 
I think that, you know, without getting too political on the whole thing, I think if he goes into Poland and NATO gets involved, it's going to make this just nuts. And that's, I'm scared about that because that could be bad for the whole world. Uh, let's talk about happier things. Uh, Doug has been uh, traveling and I believe uh, PJug wanted to ask you about that, right? Um, yes, Doug. So I heard that you went overseas to visit your daughter. Yeah, actually, it was a really cool trip. So the software company that Walzer spun off, that's my real actual job, not just media uh, star. Not um, this bullshit. Right. <laughs> so I got to go to Israel for the first time, which was wow. really great. Went to Jerusalem and it was it was just that was fascinating. But my daughter is a freshman at the University of London. And I oh, called okay. her up and I said, you know, I was looking, I was consulting the Atlas and apparently... London is kind of on the way back from Tel Aviv. So if you'd like to spend the weekend with your dad, um, let's set it up. Otherwise, if you're too busy hanging out with your cool English rock star friends, I totally get it. And I'll see you in the summer. So she was maybe just a touch homesick. And she said, oh, come on and, and let's hang out. So we spent a weekend together in London in November. And it was just it was great to see her. It's only the second time that I'd been to London. Um, it, it really is a fabulous city. It's uh -huh. what's weird for me as an American is when you see people of different races in London, uh, black people or whatever, speaking the Queen's English. It's just cooler than hell. It makes me realize that as Americans, we sound like a bunch of thugs. George Bernard Shaw famously said that the that England and America are, are two countries separated by a common language. And I think he was absolutely right. But it was a great trip, and it's uh, it's you know when your your kids start to leave the nest, it's always great when they go. Yeah, I'll spend a little time with you. That, it was a good thing. So thanks for asking. Yeah, that's what we had this last uh, couple of days ago for my birthday. We had all of our children here at the same time. We haven't had that in more than two years because of COVID. Yeah, which is crazy, and you know they're all pretty much adult kids now. We got one that's getting married in a couple of months. I got one that works at a tattoo shop that's won't long and he'll be in grad school for being a psychotherapist. Uh, my daughter was over here with her boyfriend who the whole family had not met. And you know, when you only have one daughter and you're thinking, who's going to be that one guy that sweeps my little angel, uh, you know, away from me, I couldn't ask for a better kid than this Chris that she's been with for a little over a year. He loves the bejesus out of her. He treats her like gold. He's very polite. Uh, he gives hugs. He is just ev everything I could have hoped for. And our relationship started with me sending him a song called Cleaning My Gun. Okay. <laughs> of course it did. As soon as I got his texting number, I sent him a song, Cleaning My Gun. And it's all about a dad who's worried about his little princess. And, he, you know, hey, you guys go out and have a real good time tonight. Have her home by nine. Don't worry. I'll still be awake just cleaning my gun. Right. And uh, so anyway, I sent that to him and <laughs> it's probably scared. Him. I don't know what he thinks of me at this point. I, I think we do text each other and that's kind of cool to have a relationship with your, uh, you know, your kids, you know, better half, if that's yeah. what you want to call him at this point. He texts you? That's weird. Oh, yeah. We have a good relationship. It's great. 
Uh, we almost had a fire pit. Um, we have a brand new fire pit. Didn't get it out yet, but it's coming soon to a theater near us. Can't wait for that. That is the way that I get almost all of my social interaction is through people coming to my garage and through people hanging out in my uh, driveway because I really never leave my house. I know that sounds odd, but I still have no COVID antibodies. But there's a new drug out that protects people with immune compromised situations like I have. I take a drug for MS that wipes out all the vaccines. So vaccines are basically doing me no good. They won't give me a fifth shot. I had my fourth shot way back in November of last year. Okay. And they check your antibodies every 45 days after or thereabouts. And so because of that, I'm still not covered. And there was a new drug that just came out called EvoShield. Uh, my neurologist told me about it. He said, we don't have it. Get it from your doctor. So I call my doctor. Fairview, which is a big medical place here, does not have any of this drug unless you're a transplant patient or chemotherapy for cancer kind of a thing going on. So anyway, I send the doctor back a note. They say, go to Mayo, check it out. So I go to Mayo and they said, well, what's your you know malady? And I said, I got a hundred of them but the main one's probably MS. And, uh, and so I take this drug that wipes out my uh, immune system. And I heard this drug could help me. And they said, well, with MS, you're going to be tier four. And I go, well, so there's tiers above me. They said, yeah, transplant and cancer patients. But let me just tell you this straight up front, coming right from the pharmacist at Mayo. There are 10,000 people qualified for this drug. They have 300 doses and I'm on a lottery. So I'm one of those people that wants to leave my driveway and feel some protection. Masking's completely out the window. I mean, no matter where you go, nobody's wearing masks. The needles that are administering these shots in your hips are like six inches long, right? They're intramuscular. So they go into your hips. I've only had to use those before a couple of times and it ain't fun. I had a, a drug that I took once and it was $28,000 for a vial that was a little over an inch and a half tall. It was tiny. And they gave me two of those vials, $56,000 worth of medicine. And then they bring out these massive needles and they say, okay, we're going to give you your shot and make sure you're paying attention because you're going to finish out the dosing. I'm like going, the hell I am, <laughs> right? I'm coming back here. You're going to do that. I'm not, oh, it's no big deal. You just take it and jam it into your leg. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Let's get back to your trip. I wanted to ask you about Jerusalem. Okay, did you go to where it all happened or not? Yes. So here's the deal. Uh, we've got our development team is all Israelis. It's like the Silicon Valley it was 20 years ago. And some of the big dough investors are Israeli as well. And one of them, born and raised in Jerusalem, he's invested in a lot of startup companies and fabulously wealthy and a really interesting guy. So he's like, we'll spend half a day in Jerusalem. We'll start out with a tour of the Tower of David, which he happens to be on the restoration board and it's closed to the public. So we get a private tour by him. And if you've never been there, the Tower of David is the fort that overlooks Jerusalem is kind of like down in a valley. 
So when you're standing at the Tower of David, you look down on it, and then Mount Olivet, is where, which is a big cemetery, is on the other side of it. Wow. And he explained the history about all the four different factions that were there, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims, and, and the it's not the Armenians. What's the fourth? I can't remember. Anyway, so we spend two hours with him, and then he hands us off to a tour guide. And we were, Israel had just opened up tourism after being closed for a long time. They really clamped down on COVID. And this tour guide hadn't worked in 18 months. And he was a modern Orthodox Jew. He didn't have the the, the hair, but he had the special underwear on underneath. If you, if you, if you know what Orthodox Jews are, um, you'll understand what that means. We looked him up afterwards, and he was the same guy that had done tours for somebody named Prince Andrew and Bono, and he was just amazing. So we spent four hours touring Jerusalem with him, and because there really weren't tourists there, we kind of had the run of the place. He said, normally you would spend hours in line waiting to see this stuff, and we go down to the Temple of David and the Wailing Wall, and that was really interesting there's a lot of uh, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs that take place right at the base of the wall. And you have to put on a yarmulke, even if you're not Jewish, just to trance, uh, uh, to go through there. And then you go through uh, the stations of the cross. And I'm a Christian, and I kind of understood what that was. But when you see it in real life, it's like, holy crap. I mean, you really feel to, to steal the line from Hamilton, you're in the room where it happens. Now, in the typical... Uh, people can screw up everything sort of way. The, the, there's a church built where they think Jesus was crucified, right? Uh, which in in his time would have been outside the walls of the old city, but in now is is inside. And the Roman Catholics have this beautiful monument inside and a chapel inside of this this big building. And but right next to that is the Greek Orthodox beautiful chapel and monument, and they neither one of them can agree exactly where it happens. And I was like, it doesn't matter. It's the same zip code. This happened pretty much right here. But it it's very special to go there. There is a lot of people in our group that really aren't practicing Christians or really probably atheistic, but and just the sense of history of going to that place. It was unbelievable. I would say that if you have the opportunity, go in the wintertime because it was 75 when we were there. And I guess it's over well, it's in the desert. It's well over 100 in the summertime. And that would be a long four or five hours. I could have easily spent two or three days there touring it. So if you get an opportunity, it's really cool. <clears throat> the other thing about Israel, worst drivers on the planet. They're yeah. all failed Israeli fighter pilots. No. And they seem to have this idea, the, the way they merge is the lane dividers are just sort of vague suggestions that nobody actually follows. <laughs> if you need to get in front of somebody, you speed up as much as possible, make a 90 degree turn and then slam on the brakes. It's just like, why are you people alive? <laughs> but it was interesting. Right. It was really, it was very, it was a very special trip. I got to ask you about this. Okay. So you're there. You're getting the vibe of what went on all those, you know, years ago. And then you stop and you really examine, could it have been possible for someone to come back from the dead? You know, that was, you know, there and the stone was rolled away. Yeah. And, and you, you know, you start to ponder those things. I mean, I, and we've talked about it on this podcast before, you know, is there a heaven? Is there something after where we are now? 
and all of this stuff. And you were at a place where, you know, he who believeth in me shall be saved and have eternal life. That's where it all started right there where you were. Yeah. I mean, how did you feel about that? I mean, did it make you think about it more often? No, it, it really, for me, it moves it from the abstract to the reality, I guess is the best way to put it. What about Tel Aviv? I mean, a lot of these names that you're throwing out there, when I think Tel Aviv, I see bombs coming in. It's interesting, uh, you know, because the, the narrowest part of Israel is 13 miles across. And we uh, last... Hezbollah was launching rocket attacks uh, in against uh, Israel, I think it was just about a year ago. And one of the guys on our team who I've become really close to sent me a video of the Iron Dome, which is the Israeli anti-missile defense system, blowing up incoming rockets right over his house. Wow. And we're like, holy crap. And the funny part of the story is I had invited him to be on the podcast that I do with Tom. And I, I said, man, as an American, this would totally freak me out. And he goes, you get Doug, you got to realize this is our life. We grew up with this. This is what we're used to. I'm more nervous about going on a podcast with you than I am about uh, Hezbollah firing rockets. And every <laughs> building that you go to has a safe room. All the, all the apartment buildings, all the hotels. If there's a missile attack, you they send you into this room and they've got concrete and steel walls that are like three feet thick. So it's just, it's just the way they live their lives. And to them, it's normal. But for us, you know, fortunately, America has not been invaded successfully. And I mean, they even, they tried in World War One and Two a little bit, but it was just like, yeah, okay. Well, when I first met P-Jug, she was very much into listening to Christian radio. Uh, she, you know, went to church a lot. She was very religious in this and that. And I took her straight into the path of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jesus was tempted too, Moon. So <laughs> when I try to read the Bible, there's just so much symbolism and so much. There's just, it's such a deep book. Yeah. And I don't like to read in the first place. I'm working on the Dave Grohl book that he just released a couple of weeks <laughs> yeah. ago. I'm still on page 16 for a month. Hobbs has been on the road. Hobbs is in Texas. Well, we 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 drove. You know, the airfare wasn't necessarily bad, but you know, Doug, you're in the car business. You know, the car rentals were insane. It was like, okay, well, we can fly for six hundred dollars, and if you want to rent a car for a week, it's six hundred dollars. And I'm like, Ugh. so we were like, you know, whatever, we'll drive, we'll take a road trip. So, like I said earlier, we missed the tornadoes. We got into town. Yeah, did a comedy show last night at a coffee shop. In a, it was outdoors. It's a coffee shop, but the coffee shops here serve beer and wine, just no hard alcohol. We've had um, some pretty good barbecues so far. We're going to have some more. It's amazing how many people found out when I was going to Texas. Now they want me to bring back certain things. Sure. And yeah, exactly. So I have to go to Franklin's Barbecue, and there's a certain bourbon I've got to get. And oh, Aaron Franklin's Barbecue Joint. Yeah, I've heard of that. That's supposed to be like the the holy grail. There's one that's right by the hotel and it's called Cooper's and you go in and I mean, just racks of racks of meat everywhere and all these awesome sides. And we had smoked jalapeno mac and cheese that was pretty dynamite. And the brisket was fantastic. When I yeah. lived in Texas, I lived in Houston 
And in uh, Minnesota, when people want to get away, they either go to Stillwater or they go up to Brainerd. In Texas, yep. if you want to get away, you go to Austin or San Antonio. Uh, when I started going to, to Austin, Austin was nothing. There was no tech boom. There was no millennials. <laughs> there was no was traffic. Crazy. Yeah, I haven't been here in 15 years, and I cannot believe how different it's, it is. Because the last time I was here was 2007. And it's nuts. It's not the small town that I remember. Not that it was ever small. But it was more like St. Paul. Now it's like Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Rochester and St. Cloud. And, you know, one of the things about these cities that people find, and it blows up, and it takes away the charm of the city, it takes away some of the vibe of the city, uh, I believe that Austin's one of those. I mean, the infrastructure is strained when you get that many people moving there at the same time. There's a lot of celebrities that choose to live in Austin like they choose to live in Nashville, like they choose to live in LA. You know, a lot of big stars, you find the ones that are like mega stars, like David Letterman and guys like that. They go to places like Montana where nobody can find them because right. they've had such a public life. Uh, but, you know, <clears throat> if you if you go to Austin, I mean, you'll see people running around on 6th Street. You'll see Joe Rogan. You'll see... He lives here now. Yeah, he's performing up the street tonight. Joe Rogan is? Yes. Have you ever seen his act? No, I have. Well, I mean, I've seen <laughs> clips, you know. I always thought Joe Rogan was pretty cool. I just then, I, but I never listened to his podcast. And then when started, you know, everybody started talking about that. I was like, I, I, I can't really blame the messenger so much for the people that are like, no, I'm taking my medical advice from Joe Rogan. When I was on the air in Houston, Joe used to come by the show a lot because we did comics a lot and he played sure. there. And so I got to know him a little bit. If you ever want to see something that is completely filthy, but hilarious, you need to Google Joe Rogan, Anna Nicole Smith. When you see it, it is one of the most vulgar, <laughs> but it is really funny. I mean, he's terrible. He's a terrible soul inside. <laughs> Yeah. But he's really, really funny. You know, Willie Nelson uh, lived yep. in Austin and has a place there like he does have his other place in Colorado. Matthew McConaughey is such a big University of Texas Longhorns fan that he shows up at all their events, uh, events and they use him as like a motivational speaker. Austin has a lot going for it. I mean, have you been to Nashville? Yes. If you had to compare Nashville and Austin what would you say? Would you say they're very similar? Well, I will say this. We rolled in late on, uh, what was it, Sunday night, and we just wandered into an open mic. South by Southwest just ended this last week. And I'm telling you what, Doug, you're a musician. Um, this little gal looked like she was about 22 years old. She was maybe as big as a minute and a half. She got up there and belted Nina Simone in such an amazing way. And basically this bar just has a house band and you could just sign up to come and sing. Yep. And I would have stayed there all night if I, if I could have, we were kind of exhausted, but like, and there was totally this gal that walked in and she had like the look and the hair and the beautiful outfit. And she went to go sign her name up on the open mic. And it was kind of flipped the hair. And I'm like, Oh yeah, she's got it. 
If, if, if we weren't so tired, I would have I would have stayed just to hear her because she clearly was like, you guys are ready for me. But yeah, no, the live music is amazing. Nashville is different, but it's got a lot of similarities, I would think. But I haven't been in Nashville in years. I, I would pick Austin hands down for the music scene. Nashville is cool, but it's sort of like country music for tourists. It's like yeah. Bourbon Street. When Sarah and I go to New Orleans, and it's one of our yeah. favorite cities, yeah. and we don't hang out on Bourbon Street much. We'll spend a night there, and we have a rule. We'll hit all the bars until they play yeah. Brown Eyed Girl or Mustang Sally, yeah. and then we leave and we go to the next bar. Yeah. It's usually about 15 or 20 minutes, and, they, and they're killer musicians, but they have to pay, play this. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, here's Brown Eyed Girl here. We're out the door. Psh. And we'll go to the next place. We'll go to the blue door. We'll go to the, you know, the drunken parrot or whatever it is. And Austin is more a home for up and comers. And Nashville mm -hmm. is for established, more mainstream yeah. kind of country players. We're staying right downtown. We're not far from, we're, we're, we're a block off 6th Street right now. And so my boyfriend, uh, he's never been to Austin and we showed up. He's like, he's like, you know, if you weren't in a good mood, this would be a lot. It's not bothering me, but man, but you know, one of the things we were talking about a lot is how differently they treat the unhoused and the unsheltered people here as, as opposed to what we do in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I mean, it, it seems way more forgiving. Like they just let, if, if someone, you know, someone's homeless, they, 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 you know, and they have their little, we've met a gal, she's a couple blocks up and she's just got her spot and she's just there. And the cops don't come and kick them out or harass them or any of that kind of stuff like they do like in St. Paul when they took down, they just came in right before Christmas, uh, not last Christmas, but the Christmas before. And they just took everybody's tent and said, you have to get out. There's just a more forgiving attitude in this town towards that. I don't know if anybody else saw that. I know some people get upset by it. I mean, it doesn't bother me, but. I've never been to Austin, but that's on my list. I'd love to go to Austin. My son's middle name is Austin because I used to spend a lot of time there. Mm, cool. There's there's actually a nudist beach called Hippie Hollow. Google that. Hey, uh, Doug, are you still in your band? Uh, no. Why not? What? Well, COVID sort of ended that, and I've just been too lazy to play. So, But I, I did. You. you told me to bring my guitar, so I actually prepared something for you. What kind of guitar is that? This is a 1991 Jeff Beck Signature Series Fender Stratocaster. So I got to thinking, Moon, who was your favorite musician? Jimmy Buffett. Right. And I'm a Hendrix fan. So okay. I started thinking, what if Jim Buffett and Jim Hendrix got together and wrote a song? Ooh. And I think it would go... Almost exactly like this. Nibbling on sponge cake. Watching the sun bake. All of you parrot heads covered in oil. Strumming my six string. I'm my fun porn swing. Smell them shrimp, they're beginning to boil. Bubble, bubble, baby. <laughs> 
wasting away again in Margaritaville. Looking for my last shaker of salt. Some people say that there's a woman to blame. And I know it's just not my fault. <laughs> so that's awesome. Jim Hendrix and Jim Buffett. Do you remember um, what the last band you saw live was because of COVID? Uh, last night I went to Elton John and was completely floored. Oh, wow. Talk about that. I'd never seen him before. I was a big yeah. fan when I was, I, I started out as a kid playing trumpet and I played piano for a few years before I picked up the guitar. And my piano teacher was cool. She taught me a lot of really interesting stuff. And she goes, if there's anything you want to learn, uh, send it to me and I'll, I'll see if I can teach it to you. And I bought Elton John's 111770, which is a live record he made when he first came to America, just as a three-piece, playing in a, a recording studio for a, a radio station in New York, 110 people in the audience. And it's just a, it does a great rock record. <clears throat> so I sent her a, a copy of Burn Down the Mission, and I said, I want to learn this. And in, in the, on the live album, it goes into Get Back, and they do a couple Rolling Stones deals, too, and Next week I came in and she went, yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> so, wow. But I'd never seen it before. Uh, his piano playing was top shelf. His, he's lost a little bit of his range, not much, but he gets it around, around it gracefully. And if you didn't hear the original recordings, you'd think this is a really strong vocal. He was right. humble. He was energetic, enthusiastic. I would tell you, I don't know how many concerts I've been to, and I've seen a lot of the big bands. I never saw the Beatles, but I've seen Paul McCartney and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jeff Beck, and this show was in the top five concerts I've ever seen in my life. It was wow. that good. I heard it was great. I wish I could have been there. I've seen him before, but... Huh. Moon, didn't you insult Elton John? <laughs> <laughs> I did insult Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> this was when I was on the air in Houston, he was doing a AIDS benefit with his friends that played tennis. People you may have heard of, named Billie Jean King, Martina Navratilova. So we get him on the telephone to, uh, you know, have him on the radio to promote the event and sell tickets. And I said, well, you live in Atlanta still, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I heard you were a baseball fan. Is that correct? And he goes, actually, I love going to Braves games but it's kind of hard to go when you're well known because it's hard to get in and out of the stadiums and stuff like that. He goes, I, I go when I really want to see a game uh, because there's nothing better than going to a baseball game live. And I said, have you ever been to a Houston Astros game? And he said, the Houston Astros have the ugliest uniforms in the history of major league baseball. And I said, and that comes from a guy that used to dress up like a duck. And he said, I wasn't playing baseball. <laughs> That's pretty funny. And, and we didn't have a way to bleep it, right? So it aired. And, uh, and so anyway, he hung up. Right? Oh, he and hung up on you? He, he just hung up. Yeah, he dropped the F-bomb on live radio and hung up on you. So I take the tape. And I replay it the next morning at about 6.05. I go, man, if you missed the 
show yesterday. We had a great time with Elton John. Here's a piece of it. And I hit it and I play it and I don't bleep it. And my boss heard it and he almost fired me. Uh, another time they opened a new amphitheater in Denver, Colorado called Fiddler's Green. It's an 18,000 seater. And so Elton was going to play and he had a new record out and because they were trying to get the record played on our station. They gave us some special leeway. And one of the things we got to do was get up on the stage before the night started and introduce, uh, you know, the acts that were coming to town. So we'd say, Hey, thanks for coming to Elton John tonight. He'll be out here in a little bit. Uh, don't forget, you know, uh, coming in August, it's so-and-so. And so we got, maybe a minute or 90 seconds on stage before that happened. I went to the amphitheater really early and there was a bar and I started drinking. I stagger out onto the stage after having probably one or two too many. And there were marks on the stage where Elton was going to be videotaped. So he would go to certain places in the evening's performance where they could, you know, do video. And as I'm out there looking around at this empty amphitheater, here comes Elton John with this other guy. And I look at him and I go, yo, Elton, it's moon. And he comes walking up to me and we start, you know, and he gives me a hug and he shakes my hand. How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I go, I'm doing great. We talked for two or three minutes. And then he finally stopped me and he goes, have we met before? I said, no, just right now. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> And he, and all of a sudden here comes a security guy <laughs> and they take me out and they're not going to allow, allow me to do the radio station announcements, which that would have pissed my boss off. Then after the night's concert ended, we went backstage to actually meet Elton John and I had an all access, right? So I go back to the backstage stuff and we're going through like a little receiving line and I get up to Elton and he goes, haven't we met somewhere before? <laughs> <laughs> For us, the last show that we went to was Chicago in Hastings. Oh, yeah, yeah. I lined you up with Brian Schomer for that deal. I remember yep, that. You, you helped me get tickets for that. Yeah, Man. it was wonderful. But I'm an 80s child, so I know Peter Cetera was only the lead singer of Chicago for half a minute, but like yep. that's still who I think of when I think of Chicago. I know that they had like 16 guys on stage. And yeah. for an outside show, the sound was pure. One of the things I really would love to do if I could ever get some antibodies for COVID is I'd like to go try the Treasure Island outdoor uh, amphitheater. Have either of you went to that yet? I have not. The only knock that I've heard about that place is, you know, the sound's great. The setup's top shelf. It's just a bitch to get out of there. If you do go, I would spend the 150 bucks and rent a room. Yeah. Upcoming acts, Chris Rock, Mystic Lake. Yeah, I've got an upcoming show that I'm going to. I'm really excited about. I reconnected with. I, I had a stepbrother for about four years in the '70s. My parents. He describes it as the Brady Bunch on acid, and I think that's a pretty <laughs> good description. And he's younger than I am, um, but he went on to start Soul Asylum. His name's Dan Murphy, and so oh. we've been reconnecting yeah. and hanging out. Um, he's having a golden smog reunion at first Avenue, which is sold out. And I just talked to him a couple of days ago. He goes, Hey, do you and Sarah want to come? And I go, yeah, I'm a big Jeff Tweedy fan. I'd love to do that. Uh, Jeff Tweedy is the founder of Wilco and Gary Lourdes is right. from the Jayhawks. And yeah. I had asked him, I had him on Tom's podcast at the last fall. And I said, 
how did you ever put golden smog together? So the three of those knuckleheads are up in a bar in Superior, Wisconsin, and it's an open mic, and they're hammered, and they decide to get up and do what he termed earnest Jim Croce covers. So you got Jeff Tweedy from Wilco, the guy from Jay Oxen, the guy from Soul Asylum, playing Jim Croce in Superior, Wisconsin. It seemed to me, and this maybe I'm wrong about, the bigger the star, the more receptive to other human beings they are because they're doing this concerts now because they want to play music. They don't need the money. Yeah. They've got plenty of money. Right. right? I think so you're exactly they- right. It's just for the love of entertaining that they do it. Elton John, I think he's probably pretty financially set. I'm just guessing. Yeah, he's okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. He could be. We got to meet Billy Joel when he played at the Excel. And I've seen mm. Elton and Billy play together on more than one tour. Here were these two piano gods that yep. would have these beautiful, I don't know, I, I'm assuming they were Steinway pianos or Yamahas, sitting side by side. And when those two people played keyboards next to each other, it was magic. Yeah. I mean, and they were singing each other songs. That yeah. was really, really cool. I mean, when that thing went out on tour the first time I saw it, I'm thinking that's about the coolest thing ever. And then they did like another uh, round, but I don't think you'll ever see those two tour again together. They had a residency briefly in Las Vegas, I remember, mm-hmm. and the tickets were impossible to get because I've seen Billy Joel live, but I've never seen Elton John. When the Target Center was brand new, I was like in high school. I think I was, I think it was like 89. Oh, geez, I got to go take my Geritol. You were in high school yeah, in 1989? <laughs> Tiffany, you're a little baby. I also saw the, also saw the Stones. I saw the, the Steel Wall tour. <laughs> I was at that show. I had a, a friend, who, a good friend of mine, whose uncle was a rock and roll truck driver, and we've got uh, really great seats for the Rolling Stones. In fact, the only backstage pass I've ever got for a big show. Oh, you got it right there? Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah November 30th, and it was the Minnesota shot. Isn't that weird you mentioned that? And you know what's funny? I never intentionally wanted to see the Rolling Stones at that time. In my, in my age, that was not what I was into. But I worked at a store called Record Town, and we had an employee lottery. And my best friend, who also worked there, Terry, she got employee of the month. So her name got put into this registry. So we got four tickets, fourth row, main floor. For the Stones, and and they were so lost on me at that time. If I could go back and see it now, I would have appreciated. It I, more, I was three I rows behind you, and the thing that pisses me off about that show, because I'm a guest of these friends of mine, and they're kind of rednecks. And do you remember who the opening band was on that tour? Living Color. Living Color, and I was a huge fan, and I wanted to see them almost as bad as I wanted to see the Stones. And the people I'm people. with said something like. We don't uh, want to see a bunch of black people, but they didn't say black people. I'm like, ugh. Oh, what'd they say? Those people? Uh, it was actually quite a bit worse than that. Oh, oh my. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I totally remember that. Also, I remember passing out because I did not get out much. <laughs> and I drank too much. We, we were drinking Boone's Farm. And uh, yeah. And my boyfriend was like, um, you should just sit down. I don't remember which tour it was, but I went to the Stones and Brian Adams 
was the opening act. And I love Brian Adams. And it was a, a show at the Dome uh, in Houston, which was 70,000 seats. Oh, wow. And I actually had pretty damn good seats. I was in the lower section, maybe, I don't know, 25, 30 rows back, something like that. And I was so jazzed about seeing, you know, Brian Adams opening for the Stones. I can tell you this. Brian Adams probably played 10 songs. And I bet you the, the stadium was empty for nine and a half of them because nobody yeah. gave a dump. They wanted to see the Stones. They could, care, <laughs> they could care less about Brian Adams. I mean, Summer of 69, I still hear that shit. I just read an interview about that song with him, Tiffany, yeah. and it's not about 1969, apparently. No, it's not. He's, yeah. He said it for years. It is about what you thought it was about. Yeah. Why you it was. <laughs> yes, it's a dirty song. It was the summer he discovered that position. I did not know that. I'll never hear it the same again. Before we get out of here, every week we always talk about what people are watching. And the reason that we do that is because we want new content. Uh, right now we're watching Inventing Anna. And yes. I can tell you this, uh, mm -hmm. the lady uh, that plays Anna was better yes. known as Ruth on Ozark. Uh, the next thing we're going to watch is called Life and Beth. And it's with Amy Schumer. It's on Hulu. And we're very excited. We see another season of Grace and Frankie is coming yep. back in April. We've got another episode, uh, actually six new episodes of Ozark. Uh, the new Bosch is coming out soon. I'm very excited about Bosch because I love that on Amazon Prime. Tiff, what are you watching these days? Okay, so when I get home, my DVR will be filled up with a couple of episodes that I've missed. I'm watching The Dropout, which is the dramatization of the story of Elizabeth Holmes, who started uh, the company. Oh, God, now I'm forgetting the name of the company. She started, She defrauded everybody. She was going to get all this stuff from one drop of blood and basically lied. But it's fascinating because different than inventing Anna, you get more of a sense of, where she created this character and how it all came to be because you can't generally just walk in kind of like this inventing Anna lady. She was around, her father was pretty successful, but always a little bit broke. All of his friends were like a little more successful, but one of her dad's best friends was a medical device guy. She goes to college, she's studying, but never really wants to learn the science. She just decides that Steve Jobs is her inspiration and if you just push people enough and you just yell at people enough and you just you just uh, don't relent, they will eventually create the thing that you want. And she would not hear any of the facts that, no, you can't do 200 medical diagnoses from a single prick of blood. But she realized that she was not going to get FDA approval and decided, well, screw it. Let's just go into retail and start testing on real people and then entered into an agreement with Walgreens. And it's just fascinating. Like, and only her and the boyfriend know what they're doing to like, they're, 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 they're basically in their minds. They're saying, we're going to defraud people, but it's only, we're going to, we're going to misrepresent and lie to people, but only for a little time. It's just until the, we actually get the stuff to work. We're just going to lie a little bit. Well, it's just like, you can't get a little bit pregnant. Okay. Very good. And what is that called again? Oh, it's uh, the dropout. Doug, what are you watching? I've got two comedies that I'm just in love with. One is called Space Force. Oh, yeah. Space Force. Stars 
Uh, Steve Carell, and but you just got to watch it for John Malkovich, who plays the mad scientist. He's just great. Uh, And the other one is Murderville, which is a new show with Will Arnett, where he plays a homicide detective named Terry Seattle. And the guest on every episode is a different famous person. And they're like, they have to wear these jackets that say homicide detective trainee. And they try to solve these murders. And the first one is Conan O'Brien. And then he has Marshawn Lynch on. It's, it's really great. I mean, it's, you don't have to think very hard when you watch either of these shows, but they're just, you know, I, I'm a big, I've been a Will Arnett fan since Arrested Development and, and to see John Malkovich do comedy at one point, he's talking to a colleague and she goes, you know, I'm, I have an advanced degree. I have a master's from Stanford and he goes, Oh, I think it's just so charming that you think a master's is an advanced degree. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, and he's kind of getting that kind of Catherine Hepburn kind of delivery, you know, yep. and he's getting older and he talks like this. How old is right. he now? I, he's got to be 70, I would bet. And then they even made a movie, Being John Malkovich. Yeah, so that's one of those before. weird Charlie Kaufman flicks that's just great. Yes. All right, yeah. there you go. Another episode of Moon, P. Jug and Hobbs. Thanks, Doug. Yay! Thank Thanks, you guys. Again. It was fun. Thank, thank you. Guys. Thank you, thank you, thank, thank you. you.